This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for January 13th, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 and 21 through 22. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today is the Feast of the Baptism of Our Lord, the first Sunday after the Epiphany. And if you remember from last week, Epiphany... It means revealed, or another word we use for it is manifestation, manifest. Something has become obvious. Um, and so during this season, the theme for us is to look for the ways in which God uh, becomes clear or, or present with us. That's what we are called to do. And we have the story of Jesus being baptized in the River Jordan by John, which is pretty familiar to us. I mean, we usually read it a couple of times each year. So if you've gone here for even a few years, you've probably heard it six times, heard six sermons on which could make it interesting to preach on. I can tell you, wouldn't do it for 25 years. But um, so, but, but in Matthew, there's a little bit of a, a nuance that's somewhat different than in, in the other two synoptic gospels. Um, in Matthew, we have the story of John, of course, you know, declaring that he's not worthy to untie a sandal and Jesus is baptized in the river and the, the Holy Spirit descends upon him and God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. But John says something else in there after there's one coming after me who is mightier than I. If you remember, he said, I baptize you with water. But the one who is coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Did you ever think about that, that you're getting baptized with fire? And we have a phrase, baptized by fire, but it's usually not something anybody wants. Um, it usually means it's not going to be easy. And we tend not to really look at that part of it, about what does it mean to be baptized with fire? What is it they talking about? But John goes on to tell us more about it. He goes into more detail. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand. It also be his winnowing fan is in his hand. You know what a winnowing tool is? Yeah, one of those at home. Do you know how? We'll move, move to the next word, and then we'll look at it all. And then he says, he is cleansing or purging his threshing floor. You all got one of those in your living room, I assume? Threshing floor? You know what a threshing floor is? That's where you winnow. <laughs> um, a winnowing Fork, and they call it fork a lot of times because in more modern times, you know, in the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, they would uh, go upstairs and they would take this pitchfork type thing and break open the, the grain because uh, grains that we eat, we eat and oats and things like that, the, the kernels of them are all inside of a shell that's a husk that's hard and, and it's not edible. And so you have to break it open. And so one of the ways they would break it up would be they'd pick it up and they'd throw it into the air and let it fall. And then it hit the ground. And, and as it cracked and began to break, they keep throwing it in the air. And they usually did it in the top of the silo because as the wind blew, it would blow the chaff, which are the husks, away. Now, in earlier times when Jesus was alive, they didn't have that. They didn't do it that way. What they did typically was they had a, a, a pavement. They got some stones or slate or something and put it down in a, in a big circle. And they had um, a device on it with this winnowing fan um, that would drag along the surface of the ground. 
and thus, you know, dragging the grain across. And as it did that, it would crack open the chaff um, so that the grain could be released from it. And the way they did it a lot of times, and you've seen, probably seen uh, pictures of it, and they still do it in some third world countries, they would have a donkey or an oxen or something who would be walking around in a circle, pulling this thing around so that it was breaking open. And it says, he is, has his winnowing fork in his hand, and he is cleansing his threshing floor. He is purging it. And the wheat he will save, and the chaff will be burned with what? Unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. Unquenchable. I, I, I thought that's an interesting way to say that. Why, why is it unquenchable fire? I mean, obviously there are allusions to hell and things in it, but, but I thought, I think I'm going to go look this up and see what this is. So I went back to the Greek and looked up the word. you know what the word for unquenchable is in Greek? Hmm? No, it's not unquenchable. It's asbestos. Is that amazing? Asbestos. Um, apparently, um, when they had asbestos, when they started using it, um, they thought that it was very hard to catch fire, but if it did catch fire, they believed you could never put it out. And so they used it to prevent fires but because it was so difficult, but if it ever caught fire, it would burn forever. And, and so the word is asbestos. So all the asbestos abatement programs you see are biblical. Um, they didn't know it, but they're biblical. So what is this unquenchable fire then that, that, that he's talking about? You know, what we like to look at is say, oh, he's separating the wheat from the chaff and, and the chaff he's going to throw into the unquenchable fire. What that means is the good people are going to go to heaven because they're the wheat and the bad people are the chaff and they're going to go to hell and burn forever, quick fried to a crackly crunch. Um, and, you know, that's the way it is. Or, you know, we have the imagery of the sheep and the goats. And we separate out the sheep and the goats. This is another one. And we, we like to think of that as in those people, meaning not us, are the chaff. You know, those people do really bad things. And we are the wheat. So we get the good things and they get the bad things. But if you go back to what was saying, who is it that John says he will baptize? Us. Us. Yeah. Those who would come, everybody who would come to him will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so one of the things that we need to consider in this season of Epiphany is, is as we are looking at manifestations of God is how is God, you know, using fire on us? How does that happen? You know, we don't really like that imagery very much, you know, when we think about it on the surface. You know, but, but if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Has anybody ever seen a, a gold that's been freshly mined? Like a, just a rock? Have we seen it? Hmm? Yeah. It's not very impressive, is it? I mean, it looks like a rock. It's got a little bit of gold color to it, but it's a rock. So would that be something you'd want to wear on your finger that way? Probably not. So how do we get to where we have these shiny things? What do they do? They refine it with what? And, and what do they do when they refine it? They get it really, really hot, so they melt it, and then what happens? 
Yeah, they separate out the impurities so that the gold is remaining. So they, they you know, sift through it, more or less, so that only the gold is what is remaining in it. They get rid of all the impurities that would make it ugly. That's what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, is that God needs to take us and to remove the impurities that are within us. Now, we typically like it, I know I like it, when he's removing the impurities in you. Um, I like it less when he's removing the impurities in me, because that's not nearly as much fun. But if you think about it, God is a just God. I mean, he, he, he believes in righteousness. He wants the world to be the way he created it to be. And would you really want to spend eternity in heaven if God let everybody in with all their sins? And they just kept doing it. You know, those people who just really get on your nerves and you're wondering, why don't they ever get their comeuppance? Hmm? I know. I mean, but that's not good. Why would we want to be with them? Do you know, they call that heaven? And so... Part of what happens is that that has to be purged. It has to be refined. It has to be removed. And just like I was saying before, while I like the idea of him doing it to you, I'm less keen about him doing it to me because, honestly, my sins don't bother me that much. But the reality is is that I can't live there either unless I've been made pure made clean. Now, what we like about the, the Holy Spirit things, we like the idea that, okay, Jesus died for us on a cross, and, and we're forgiven, and, you know, we've been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. We love all those imagery. And then we skip completely this whole fire part, because we don't want to think about that part. You know, that's, that, but that's not the real world, is it? That God just waves a magic wand, and suddenly it's okay? A lot of times we think that you know, well, God forgives us no matter what we do. Now, that's true, but he didn't intend for us to stay that way. You know, he forgives us so that we can be transformed. And the goal of the Christian is to become, you know, one with Christ. Paul puts it this way, to grow up into the full stature of Christ. You know, he also says, if anyone is in Christ, the old has passed away and the new has come. That's really the measurement, is how much of can we see that God is removing the impurities of our life, the sin and the brokenness of our lives. You know, and it's God who does it, which is the other significant thing. A lot of times we think, oh, that's our job. We're the ones who are supposed to stop sinning. Well, no, it didn't say that. Who does he say will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire? Jesus will do it. I mean, it's not us. We don't do it. John says, I just baptize you with water for repentance. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So you can't purify yourself. But that doesn't mean you have no part in it. Your part in it is, do you want to cooperate or not? Or do you want to rebel against it? Do you see the refining fire as something that, that is good for you? Or do you see it as an annoyance or an inconvenience or, or even something to avoid and not and to rebel against? Because that really is the Christian journey, is our decision day by day of what to do with this refining fire. 
You know, typically, for a lot of us Christians, we look at things, and when good things are happening, you know, like we get job opportunities, with God's opening doors for us, and we love to talk about that. And, and if bad things happen to us, we might say, why would God let this happen? You know, what did I do? But what we never look at is, is God doing this so that I can be made pure, so that I can be made holier. It's kind of like the old adage about if you pray for patience, you know what God will give you? Opportunity, yes. Somebody who will just test your patience to the max. <laughs> it's the only way you're going to learn that, isn't it? There's no other way to get there. Well, the same's true with all of our sins. You know, we wouldn't have the sin if we didn't hold on to it in some way. And so somehow or other, we have to be tested and refined in the midst of that. Now, that doesn't mean that every bad thing that happens is from God. That's not true. But it also doesn't mean that no bad things that happen are from God. What it means is that we have to pay attention. We have to get to know Him well enough to know what it is that He's doing. And the one thing that's always true, regardless of who inflicts the, the bad things upon us, be it the evil one or God, the thing that is always true for us is that God is going to use it. God will use it to change us. You know, let me give you an example. If you take your child in to get an immunization at, at age oh six months, do you think that what they're do you think they think that what this person is doing to me is good? Do the parents think it's good? Well, a lot of times that's the way we see what God does too. You know, when you have a teenager and you say, No, you can't do that, do you think they see that as good? No. But as an adult, you may know it is good. They just can't see the bigger picture. And so we have to learn to discern the spirits. We have to learn to, to be in such a relationship with God that we can tell what's the refiner's furnace and what is just an assault. Because it could be either one. And so we have to, to pay attention. That's what manifestation is all about, is to look for the signs of what God is doing in our lives. Do you recognize in you that you are not the same person you were, you know, before you became a Christian? That God is making you new? Would people that you knew back then that you haven't seen then say, you know, you're different, something about you? You know, what, how, you, what happened? Because that's really what tells you an awful lot about the difference. Just like the gold, if it's a rock that came out of a mine versus, you know, something that's been purified. You know, they can tell something different's happened. It's obvious. There are, there are um, visual benefits. That's why in Acts we have this interesting little story. It says that the disciples, the apostles who were in gathered in Jerusalem, heard that the Samaritans had accepted Christ. And so they sent to them Peter and John. Now think about this. These are the big guns, aren't they? Peter and John. I mean, they sent James too. It had been a hit squad. I mean... <laughs> I mean, there's like two of the biggest guys. I mean, you know, they're the inner circle. Why are they sending them to the Samaritans? What's that all about? Well, something important must be going on. And so they go up there, and when they get there, they found out that they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what's wrong with that? <laughs> they didn't use the Trinitarian formula correctly when they did it. There's no fire. They were baptized into the sacrificial love of Christ, 
but they hadn't come to that place yet where they were ready to be transformed from within. And so it says they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people in, in modern times, you know, say that's where confirmation comes from. That's where we get that. And it's not that in baptism you don't receive the Holy Spirit because you do. But the difference is, 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 is significant. Who was it that baptized these Samaritans? Anybody remember? You had to have read earlier in Acts to know it. His name was Philip. Anybody remember Philip? Saint Philip? <laughs> he wasn't an apostle, actually. He got selected earlier in the book of Acts for a very particular role. Anybody remember what it was? I'll give you a hint. There were seven of them. Good friends of his was picked. His name was Stephen. Okay, your assignment is all. You have to go home and read the book of Acts. We're having a test next week. <laughs> um, he was a deacon, yes. He was to take care of the widows and the orphans and to wait on the tables. Now, even to this day, if a deacon or a layperson baptizes someone, there's something else that has to happen. Because there's one part of the baptismal service that, that deacons or lay people can't do. Anybody know what that is? Sort of. There's a particular name for it. They have to be have their baptism sealed. That's why we take the oil and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Um, and that has to be a priest or a bishop who does that. Now, that begs the question, doesn't it, why? And why is that necessary? You know, why, why, why would they come up with that rule? Did God do that or is it just the priests and bishops needed something to do so they said, I want that part? Maybe <laughs> Vogel, probably. Um, <laughs> no, actually, it, it comes from a very specific thing. It has to do with vows. And the vows that priests and bishops take. We uh, take a vow to guard the faith and unity of the church, to make sure that sound doctrine is taught, to make sure that people receive the refining fire of the Holy Spirit and not just the parts they want to hear. You know, that's why one of the phrases about preaching is that preaching is to uh, comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Um, it, it's, we need to be refined.